It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of On The Clock. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield, and this is a very special day because we are joined by PFF's Mike Renner. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brett. Heck yeah, man. Let's just jump right into this. I've been excited to have you on the pod since we initially talked about it. And, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of have a guest every day has been the format. And um, I love your unique perspective. PFF has been putting out fantastic draft content for probably the better part of a decade, but it took a, a step forward when uh, you kind of took over the draft process there. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your process? Because I know you have all the data in the world at your disposal, but you also have a, a traditional scouting point of view as well. How do you kind of, you know, blend the two worlds? Yeah, I, I use, you know, the data, the grades as almost like an aid, as almost like a guide, right? So, so if you see a guy on tape and you really like, you know, it it's always starts with the physical ability, you know, physical capabilities, who they are in that regard. It's, any scouting process has to start with that. But then I think what I use the grades for is kind of, you know, one, being able to drill down and watch certain aspects of their film. So whether it's, you know, watching every time a cornerback was targeted, watching every time a tackle was left on an island, that sort of thing, that obviously helps you want to see those plays, those high leverage plays. I don't think you can get a proper eval on a guy at positions like that unless you see all of those plays. Like if you don't see every target for a cornerback, you really don't get a good handle for their ball skills and how they, you know, react when the ball is in the air. So things like that, but then also just like the production that is the PFF grades and some of the PFF stats really helps to just kind of, if you, you know, watch all of a guy, it more helps to, to kind of give you a handle on their frequency of how well, how, how many times are they playing at that level? You know, like you could see them for one or two games and be wowed by a guy, but then if the PFF grades poop, you go back and be like, oh, maybe I missed the two or three games where he was absolutely just getting roasted. And you're going to want to see those things if you're an evaluator. So I think that's how I use the PFF grades and stats is just to be able to find the places that you need to watch to find basically their strengths and weaknesses quicker. Yeah, I, I like that. Do you um, – so speaking of those, some of those stats, so like when I – I think I heard you say it actually. Christian Gonzalez is a, a good example of someone who on tape – I, I love the movement skills, obviously, but then he didn't have the same ball, level of ball production that some of these other top corners had. Is that something that c- concerns you? Do you use that data point? Yeah, it's, it's a little concerning. Um, but again, like I said, it starts with physical capability. When he is the single best mover on a football field in this cornerback mm-hmm. class, and obviously I think that was born out of the combine, and then obviously has ideal height, weight, speed, height, weight, length profile where it's like, the ball skills at that point are almost a secondary. Now I've said Devin Woods put a CB1 because of those ball skills because he gets after at the catch point a lot better than Christian Gonzalez. But it's the you know, the smoothness, the being able to be in the right position that is the more important thing at corner. Ball skills are you know a nice add-on, but if they're just okay, you can live with it when you're as freaky as a guy like Gonzalez is. 
Makes sense. All right, before we get into the usual format of the show, Mike, are there any other combine takeaways that you had? Just any one guy you wanted to point out that surprised you? I have more of just a high-level view of the combine that I want people to, I don't want to say talk about more, but just like needs to be said more that like these shouldn't really matter. <laughs> like those drills that you just saw should not really matter. Like if they're really changing things drastically for you without actually going back and watching tape, it means probably you just didn't watch the tape in the first place, right? right? Like yep. it, it, you should have seen all these things on tape. It, it really should only come into play for a handful of guys and it should be in a minor way where it's be like, oh, you know, maybe I didn't see that. Maybe I should bump them up a little bit. But it's really not like, oh, Anthony Richardson just blew up the combine. Number one pick. You know, number one pick now. No, it's like you, yeah. you saw that on tape already. For sure. I mean, for me, it's cliche to say, but they're, I'm looking for box checks, you know, just yeah. checking the box. Yeah. And then anything that sticks out as like, whoa, didn't see that coming. You got to go back and address the tape and figure yes. out what you missed. Yeah. Like Addison is one. Like I didn't think he'd be super fast, but I didn't think he'd run four five five either. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's – that's one yeah. of those combine ones that I'm kind of I'm gonna have to go back and watch and just double check, make sure I'm comfortable in my evaluation of him. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways, so let's let's move on here. Uh, I wanted to ask you a guy you are higher on than most. This is the typical format. Who do you got for me? There's a I feel like there's more this year than most years, but I'll go with in this class. Oh, man, I have so many to decide from. You told me you were gonna do this, and I still can't decide um i'll go you don't have to stick with one so kalijah can't i'll go with the pittsburgh defensive tackle um now i've gotten burned by some undersized dts before but i do think he's just a different animal in in that and you saw at the combine like he's on tape prior to combine i said he's more athletic than aaron donald like he's getting the Aaron donald comps he's more athletic like this guy moves unlike any dt i've ever seen it's just it is unbelievable how quick he is and how many reps he has where just a guard that is a foot and a half away from him can't even touch him is uh, again unlike anything i've seen uh in my you know nine years of doing college grading and college scouting so he, he, he's a true freak um i think that that ability and he knows how to rush the pass too like he uses his hands really well and yeah he has tiny arms yeah he has you know, probably 10 to 15 pounds lighter than you'd ever want a DT to be. <laughs> but I watch his tape and I'm just thinking there's there's a role where this guy makes an impact. It's not going to be every defensive tackle role that you could probably feasibly put him in. There's a lot of places you really don't want him to play. But on a third down, if he's pinning his ears back, that's a guy I want on the football field. I, I, I think he's going to be nasty at the NFL level. So the, the length is definitely something he lacks compared to Aaron Donald, his predecessor there. But do you think Cancy can play on early downs? Is there a role for him there? Yes. And the, basically, you almost have to do what Pitt did. And it's just you have to give him the freedom to play loose with his gaps, right? That, that's what it has to be. And Aaron Donald gets that too. Like the high-end guys get that at the NFL level. J.J. Watts always had it. But if you're going to ask him to, you know, you know it's going to be a three-tech. Like that's where he's going to play more likely than not. If you're going to ask him just to like hold his ground against the double team, you know, deuce block comes. It's like you're, he's losing that no matter what. Like you're just asking him to play within the scheme. He's losing a lot of things in the run game that are just going to be you know, within the scheme. So you have to give him the freedom to say, Hey, you see that double coming, get around the guard, get around the tackle, do what you got to do. Knife that gap, like do something to make sure that you're not stuck on that double team, things like that. 
that he can do, but it's just, again, not a lot of, some DCs aren't that flexible, don't want that guy to, to, to get out of his gap and leave a gaping hole there if that's the case. So the running joke on the pod is that I can't help myself but think about a player's prospectives in Detroit because that's obviously the team I watch the most. Mm. But it sounds crazy, but I think Kalajic Kansi fits what they not only what they need very well, but they might be the one defensive-minded team that doesn't care about the length. Mm. You saw them draft Josh Pascal last year who, honestly, if they stood next to each other, they're very similar in size, yeah. Pascal and, and Kansi. And I think Kansi is a souped-up version of what Pascal gives you. So we've already seen them try this. Seems like Kansi would be a great fit, and they need some interior passers pretty well. Do you like that fit? I do. I think that would be a great landing spot for him and really give them, I mean, really give that third down package now uh, some some juice, right? Like, as you yeah. expect a bump from Aiden Hutchinson, James Houston's already like a third down god. Like, you, you want that guy on the right. field every time. <laughs> and that gives you two of those guys now, two pure you know, block winners on third out, flat out, like two guys that if you leave one on one at minimum, that is a problem for opposing offensive line. So and and the speed, man. Yeah, that would be a great that'd be a great pair. Love it. Um, all right. Do you have another guy that you're higher on the most that you want to you want to hit? The other one I was going to say is Tanner McKee, the Stanford quarterback. I, oh. I think just throw for throw. He is right up there with Bryce Young, CJ Stroud in terms of accuracy. I think he is. NFL caliber high-end accuracy. Now, he's got slow feet in the pocket. Adjusting to pressure was bad on tape at Stanford, quite frankly. And he's not like a creator by any means. He's a pure pocket passer. So you're dealing with like a ceiling that's, you know, Kirk Cousins-esque in that regard, that there's just nothing. You know, he can he actually run probably a little bit better than Kirk Cousins in a straight line. Like a straight line speed's not bad, but he's never a break-the-pocket, you know, elude pressure. That's just not his game. But... I still think accuracy to that degree is something I'll go to bat for. And also something that like he's I've, I've saw improve from last year, to this year saw him clean up a lot of his bad decisions. Like a lot of his turnover or like turnovers, interceptions, balls that were in harm's way this year. were more just like throwing into traffic, giving his guy a chance rather than, Oh, I missed the linebacker. Oh, I, I misread the coverage. So I, I do think Tanner McKee, you have a good decision maker, quick decision maker, accurate guy who's just limited in tools. Now, where does that go in the draft? I, I don't know, but I do think that's a guy who can succeed in the NFL when things are, you know, in a situation that is probably, let's just say, a little bit better than Stanford because there's not a lot of situations that are going to be as bad as Stanford. That's <laughs> true. That is true. One thing that impressed me with McKee, and, and this is like completely non-scientific, but at the combine, like I'm a big QB vibes guy. Yeah. Like, I need good vibes from you if you're going to be the quarterback in my team. Just watching him being willing to compete with Richardson and Stroud, like, down on the field in their throwing session, like, he was not willing to just let them steal the spotlight. He was like, nope, I'll take another rep. Nope, I'll take another rep. Like, I, lo- I love that crap. That competitiveness speaks volumes to me. And he, that, again, he sold me a little bit on why I interviewed him last year before the season. And he's like, on his days off, he goes and plays other sports. It was what he was saying. Like, I'm like, oh, you wow. day off. You don't have practice. What are you doing? He's like, I'm going to go play spike ball. I'm going to go play volleyball. I'm going to go play like basketball. Like he's like a competitor. He's driven. And he's got like a weird profile because the two year LDS mission, like he took two years off football and to come back. And so he's like, took this big gap in his development, only three years of college football. I, I think there's still more there untapped. Uh, and he's a guy who's going to, he set himself out, work everyone. So uh, that's a guy I, I'd go to bat for and want 
And if he falls to somewhere in like the second round and on the team, you know, ham, you know, in those situations where you're paying a quarterback a lot of money, like a Kirk Cousins, who's maybe not mm-hmm. that good, who's you know, not going to lead you to a Super Bowl. I, if I'm one of those teams, I'd be more than willing to take a shot and guy like Tanner McKee day too. Nice. Any chance if you're a GM, you're you're calling his name on day one? <laughs> um, I do think there is. I, I think you get to the back end of this first round and like the decisions you're making, because I think this class only really goes about 25 deep of guys I really like um, that I'd really go to bat for, especially 25 deep. Uh, even like, and that's four of those are like quarterbacks already. So there's really not a lot of position players in this draft after that that I think are too dissimilar from what you're getting in the second round. So I'm trying to think who's really at the back end of round one that could pull the trigger. Maybe I keep going back to the Vikings, but like other teams like, uh, you know, maybe the Giants, if they really are desperate, you know, for a quarterback, maybe hmm, New Orleans, if you're forward looking at pick 30 now. Those are teams I could see, like, maybe. But obviously, the way the board falls is a big part of that. You could always see a team pop into the first two coming from early second area. You know, like, if for whatever reason Houston passed on QB at 2 and 12, you could potentially. Yeah, it would be wild, but you could see them come up and and make a play for a guy like Davis Mills for the (laughs) QB battle of the century. Uh, Yes. All (laughs) right, let's do a guy you're lower on than most. There's a, there's a few, <laughs> I think, I think projects at low value positions, I'm always going to be lower on. So this linebacker class, Drew Sanders, Trenton Simpson, I, I'm not touching those guys before like early third round. I just don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. Um, they, they're just guys who don't really play linebacker. And a lot of people have said Drew Sanders back to edge, which I, I can, get a little more on board with there. If that's your plan, if you really have a hybrid role where you're going to blitz, you know, him more times than you're dropping him into coverage, cool. by all means, take him wherever you want. I think that's like the part of his game that actually is impactful. But if you're drafting him to be an off ball linebacker, I don't, I don't see it. He's, he's a bad tackler. Um, he's out of control in space. Like they, and it's not surprising. Like he's never played off ball linebacker. So, you're working with a developmental curve that you, you don't know when he's going to turn into a real uh, player for you. And that's not really a position you want a guy who's a liability at in terms of like how he sees the game. You'd rather deal with like an awful athlete who just is at least in the right position than a guy who's, you know, maybe a high end athlete who's just all over the place. So him and him and Simpson, I just like, I just, I just don't think again, the juice is worth the squeeze for top traffics for the hype they're getting. So I, I think I'm lower on those guys. Then I'll also throw out, and then for the same reasons, Darnell Washington, the Georgia tight end. Ooh, it's just what is his what is his ceiling? You know, everyone's like, oh, he's six seven, two sixty five, this huge frame. Well, have you seen him move? Like, have you seen him try to run an out route ten yards down the field? Like, he's not getting separation anytime soon. Like, he's not going to win. When it's press man across the board, he's going to have a safety just plugging him at the line of scrimmage. He's just not quick enough. So, um, I, I just don't, I just don't see where his role is. Everyone's called him Mercedes Lewis. Uh, they call him at the combine, but it's like Mercedes Lewis was an absolute bust of a top ten pick, capped out at seven hundred yards in his best season. That this just that size guys struggle to 
get open. And that's like the thing that everyone's yeah. looking for is guys who can separate guys who can create space. He's never going to do that on his own. I, this is an actual sentence from my write up on him. <laughs> Routes containing harsher breaks, like outs and digs won't be his forte in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, then what are you doing? You know, like now I get like I get a lot of tight end production is not is schemes. Like a lot of it yeah. is just like here's a crosser, take it, go. But even then, I I don't expect him to look like Rob Gronkowski with the ball in his hands either. You know, there are better tight ends in this draft class with just purely after the catch. There's quite a few because it's a good class than Darnell Washington. So, uh, and then as a blocker, like he's 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 not. He's not as good as Michael Mayer. Like, he's not a polished blocker by any means. Everyone's calling him a six offensive tackle or six offensive lineman. But it's like, yeah, maybe in time. But I, I don't think he's NFL ready in that regard either. Right on. Uh, yeah, Washington's a guy that I, I do like, but I see all the same concerns you see. I think I'm just more willing to bet on the mm-hmm. what could be. Develop. But yeah, in the first round, though, that seems a little nuts. You know, That's where, that's the thing. It's, <laughs> it's about expectations. If people didn't hadn't brought Darnell Washington's name up yet as like a prospect, I'd be like, are you guys seeing this? This guy's insane. Like, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but if people are calling him a first rounder, then I'm like, okay, well, no. Like, he's not that awesome. Come on. Yep. All right. Give me a team player fit that you want to pound the table for. I really want, and this is, I really want the Texans to get Bryce Young and then Quentin Johnson. I just, I want that pairing. I, I, that, I I think that is just, that's how you jumpstart, you know, put a jetpack onto your offense going forward. Uh, I think Quentin Johnson, and especially considering new OC in Houston, Bobby Slowick, former PFFer. Coming yes, over sir. <laughs> from San Francisco, Shanahan, like what they do, run after catch stuff. Quinn Johnson's the, the, one of the best run after catch receivers I've scouted. Like he is special with the ball in his hands. You can debate his route tree all you want, but the 49ers route tree is not like it's a one cut route tree. It, it's slants. It is a one, you know, a lot of slants, a lot of routes that are just one foot in the ground go. And that's what Quinn Johnson excels at, is that acceleration out of those type of plays. So I think him in that offense could, you know, with a guy like Bryce Young, who's just so creative, um, and the plays they could make outside of structure because of that. Because Quinn Johnson, you give him that kind of freedom to just, like, go to a spot and be special. Um, I, I think that pairing is how you set your franchise up for just long-term success. Yeah, he, he is hilarious to watch in the open field because for how long his legs are, he hits some ridiculous jukes and spins. Like the yeah. spin move he always said on people, I'm like, I've never seen a guy that long hitting spin moves in the open field. Yeah, it, his, it literally cracks me up. His ability to just like stop at that size is, it just, it looks so weird. It really it, does. It, it does. He is different. And then, yeah, I mean, the 49ers route tree, like you said, is simple. The only real complicated route they use a lot is that shake route, the 83 route plays out some people call it i yeah. mean but he doesn't have to be the guy running it for yeah. now at least yeah. you know uh, yeah i i love that fit i love bryce young to the texans too i think that would be a good spot for him with uh with that offense that they're going to be running mm-hmm. so i do have concerns what do you think about his height like is that a problem for you yeah so i wrote a whole article about it it's like everything that could be and it's it's impactful right it, it's I, I think to just be like oh you know there's other people who have succeeded is, is kind of not not giving enough credit. It's going to impact him. And I, and I think the biggest worry is just injury. Um, he, he needs to protect himself better. 
and it's like he can like he, he can play it away like he's he's so nimble that if he didn't doesn't want to take big hits he doesn't have to but he does will hold the ball till the bitter end and take big shots is the biggest thing i worry about the the rest play style wise i think he already mitigates the height concerns yeah um like the ability to use the middle of the field quick game all the things you were like oh you know russ wilson can't do kyler can't do he can do i I think he already like has done at alabama but i do think it's the injury that's really like that guy at that size takes one pop you know take a lot of pops you just don't know when it all takes is one you maybe not be getting up from it for like you know six months yeah people ask me all the time well why is it different than 185 pound wide receiver taking hits and it's because the guys hitting him are literally twice his size in some yes. cases. And, you know, usually receivers are getting hit by corners and safeties. It's it's a little bit different of a game back there. Mm-hmm. So um, awesome stuff. Before I let you go, though, Mike, I do have to ask you, because you are from Running Backs Don't Matter University at PFF. Um, <laughs> where are you at on Bijan? Is this guy worth the hype? Is he worth the, the top 15 grade most people give him? I've even seen top five, which is... You know, which is wild, but yeah, I mean, your your grading system, whatever you want to put, like he should be at the top of your running back grading system, or at or near whatever you know, however you grade running backs. Sure, like he is, like he's. I have no doubts about his on field ability whatsoever. You know, it's just contextualizing how much how valuable that is. I think there is, and I've said this. I I don't even hate drafting a running back in the first round. Like I, I think there is a place, time, and place where that's viable. But what it needs first is the offensive line in place and an offense that revolves around the running. That, that is basically a you know what the Atlanta Falcons do, what the Tennessee Titans do, what some of these offenses around the NFL do, just in terms of commitment to that, where they're basing everything off of the threat that that running back brings to the table. If you have that all in place, I think you can draft to be John Robinson. So if you're Atlanta Falcons at eight, now, it may be a little rich and you may be passing on some damn good players, but it's like if you, you know, with the offensive line place, they sign, they resign Caleb McGarry. Sure, by all means, pull, pull the trigger. I'm not, I wouldn't do it myself, but I don't think it's that egregious when that is something that's such a focal point. So if you're, you know, Baltimore Ravens in this at 23 and he falls yeah. there, I'm, not, I'm okay with it. Like if you're a team with that offensive line in place, I'm not going to hate on it because he can't take it to that echelon. And I think that's what I, what you want if you're drafting a guy if you, or what everyone's hoping for drafting a guy that highly, but like you need a guy who could take your running game to the echelon that it's basically unstoppable that every time you come out, it demands an eighth man in the box. That's when you actually get returns from your running game that are valuable in my opinion. So if you're at that point where Bijan could take you there, you, you could pull the trigger. Sure. But I just think so few teams are at that point, And so few teams yeah. are in such a position that, it just doesn't make sense compared to what you can get, and especially in this draft, in like the third or the fourth round. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think the other aspect teams look at this is like, especially a good team with, you know, they've got good depth everywhere. They don't have any glaring needs. They kind of look at running back as a spot. It's easy to get a little bit better. So I, the Chiefs did this with CEH. It's like that team was really good, and it was just an easy way in their mind to get a little bit better and push the push the cart forward a little bit, you know, without you know costing you a whole lot. Yeah, people see it as an easy win. It's an easy position to scout. Like it's because yeah. 
you know, we talked about traits and like height speed at other positions, but then other positions like demand a good deal of skill. There, there's very, I don't want to say there's little skill <laughs> running back. There's still a skill, but it's far less skilled than other positions. So it's like, yeah. let's not, let's not get on our high horse about, you know, all positions are skilled. It's like, no, running back is still like, just, Hey, go run. And some of it's uncoachable um, that you're doing. So it's an easy way for a GM just to be like, I got a good player. And then when you draft them, you're going to force some carries because to justify the pick. Yeah. So it's an easy win that I think just is almost a trap for GMs more often than not. Agreed. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much for, for joining the pod. Um, for those that don't already follow Mike, it's at PFF underscore Mike. He's got great content on the site. His podcast, you are you have your own podcast with Trevor, right? Not anymore. Not Seth. anymore. That okay. Was discontinued. So now I'm just on the NFL show here at PFF okay. uh, once a week. So. Once a week. Okay. So you you sit in for Steve, basically. Yes, yeah, sit in for Steve. Gotcha. Cool. It. It's become like a re- revolving door of, of people hosting that show. So Nice. It reminds me of like seven years ago when that was the thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've, we've reverted back to just the original PFF content plan. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah. Find, find Mike there. Find him on Twitter. Check out his pod. It's good stuff. And uh, with that said, we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.